Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's great to have you back, buddy. It's great to be back, Ma. Old timey, I'm not sure if you got the memo, but the producers feel like our numbers are low because people don't understand my humor. So sitting in with us tonight will be Professor Comedy, who will be summing up my jokes for you. It's a pleasure to be here, Mr. Mort. You'll barely notice I'm here. I certainly hope so. So, old timey, how was your Easter? It was good. How about yours? Nothing exciting. I caught up on some movies. I finally saw uh, The King's Speech. Oh, how was it? It was... See what Mort is doing here is an extremely predictable joke. Playing off the fact that the movie in question is King's Speech. A film centering around a king-to-be with a terrible stuttering problem, which he eventually overcomes in this inspiring film, which won Best Picture Oscar. Mort's joke, however, is painfully obvious and overdone, which is why he will never win so much as a Webby this year. Pretty good. Pitiful. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, it's time for Skyping with the Stars. Ah, uh, a segment based on alliteration and nothing else. Although, while they may not be stars or celebrities, every guest in this segment is definitely more famous than St. Morton. Fuck you, Professor. All right, and we're back. Uh, my next guest for our segment, Skyping with the Stars, is Paul Chapman. He runs a podcast called The Greatest Movie Ever. Uh, it is actually one of the first podcasts I ever listened to, uh, and I still listen to to this day, so it's a great pleasure to have him on the show. I recently just made my first debut, or I guess it's always your first debut. I made my debut on his podcast just earlier today, so thank you, Paul, for coming by. Well, good to, good to have me. I thought I just, or, uh, ah, let me say that again. It's good to be here. Uh, glad you're having me. Um, I do have to make a small correction, though. It's, it's uh, spelled... Paul Thomas Chapman, but it's pronounced Throat Wobbler Mangrove. Ah, okay. I will, <laughs> I will make sure to correct that in editing. <laughs> no. Uh, now, How you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, where did you come up with the idea? Uh, well, first of all, let me say the story of how I found your podcast was completely by accident. Um, I, the first podcast I ever, ever, ever found was Geekscape, uh, which mm. is the host of St. Mort Show. And one of the guys on Geekscape was like, hey, I have a new podcast called The Worst Movie Ever. And I was like, oh, I should check this out. And for some reason, I downloaded The Greatest Movie Ever podcast instead and was like, man. Yeah, yeah. I knew those people when they were still doing The Worst Movie Ever podcast. We corresponded for a little bit, actually. Yeah, and I was like, this podcast is great. And, <laughs> and I told him so. And he was like, that's not my podcast. <laughs> so, And Worst Movie Ever was a really great podcast, too. And I really wish that... Uh, Ivan would consider bringing it back, but that's neither here nor there. Um, greatest movie ever. I actually love the concept of it was like, let's look at these movies that are either legitimately the greatest movie ever or ironically the greatest movie ever. Oh, you use the I word. I know it's a bad word to use and people hate don't, it. Don't but, use the I word. But no, um, I, I think I do need to clarify something right there i like daryl surratt on the anime world order podcast i'm not really a proponent of, of the concept of ironically enjoying something something that might seem to be ironic to other people is something that i find myself genuinely enjoying i i do genuinely enjoy the experience of movies that are often by by traditional standards quite terrible 
Um, but really, um, at the heart of the greatest movie ever podcast, there's there's actually a kernel of constructive criticism, which is something that um, the woman who taught me acting and, and puppetry uh, in, in children's theater when I was younger, she had a policy of being able to find something positive to say about even the worst performance from the most amateurish actor. And that's something that I took to heart, that even in films that are colossal failures in, in one aspect or one element or some sense, there's always something that's done well. And if you can find that, it makes it a worthwhile experience. Uh, there's a quote from uh, one of Chuck Klosterman's books. He defines a guilty pleasure as something you pretend to like ironically, but actually legitimately like, mm -hmm. uh, which I always like to use. Now, you've watched some terrible movies for this podcast, and I refuse to listen to any episodes on movies that I haven't seen, but on the same flip side, I try to listen to every episode. So because of you, I've watched movies like Next, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, just yesterday, I finished watching Flash Gordon for the first time, mm -hmm. um, which actually wasn't as terrible as expected. But I have to ask, of all of the movies that you've done, and you've done quite a few, I would say well over 100, um, what was the probably the most painful one that you couldn't even pretend to say was the greatest movie ever? Well, you have to remember that, that some of the more painful experiences I haven't actually recorded or published yet. But um, in terms of just, I hate this freaking movie. This is really not fun, not enjoyable, but I feel like I need to talk about it. Um, is probably going to be the upcoming podcast that I'll be doing with Daryl Surratt and celebrity translator Neil Nadelman um, about the Nicolas Cage, Alex Proyas opus that is known as Knowing. Uh, and the basic premise is, is how do you go from Dark City to this? <laughs> uh, what was Roger Ebert thinking when he lauded Nicolas Cage's acting in that film? <laughs> I, I hope that mm. I know I know that it hasn't come up uh, as of recently because, you know, as the years go by, siblings do different things. I love listening to the episodes where you force your sister Catherine to watch movies that you know that she is going to completely despise. <laughs> and it seems like it's just so sadistic, but it's so enjoyable to listen to as she's just like, you know I don't like these things, and you make me, you always pick the movies that have these things in them. And yet she keeps recording <laughs> she with keeps me. You'd think that eventually she'd just be like, you know what, I'm not doing any more podcasts with you, Paul. It, it goes back to that the everything I I learned from from show business I learned from a woman uh, now deceased named Norma Bigler and one of the things that she would talk about uh, was sort of like trust exercises that they do in theater um, in terms of staging a scene and how big you can play it she would say as the director you know I'm going to push you to the very edge of the cliff but I'm not going to let you jump off of it. So that's sort of where I stand when it comes to picking for movies with Catherine and my mother. They're my family members, and they have to love me no matter what I do. <laughs> so I can't abuse that trust, but uh, I can push the envelope. <laughs> I definitely enjoy when you made your mom watch The Prophecy. Uh, or just Prophecy. Not just Prophecy. The Prophecy the, yeah. is Christopher Walken. <laughs> 
Yeah, Prophecy has the greatest death of anybody in a sleeping bag, for those of you who hasn't <laughs> seen it. Um, and I'm, just wondering, I'm just wondering what it's going to be like when I actually sit her down and get her to try and explain what goes on in Fist of the North Star. Oh, are you doing live action or anime? We, we already did the live action with uh, Mike Toole and Daryl Surratt. This is going to be the animated version with a streamlined pictures dub. <laughs> uh, it's like, okay, Mom, now, now what happens now? <laughs> today I got to, uh, you know, we're recording this on Easter. Um, I had my uncle ask me my opinions on Human Centipede, so that was an interesting uh, life in being, you know, having an uncle who knows that you like a lot of really demented movies. He's like, I was thinking about on demanding that. Do you think it's good? Uh, it's one of those things where I think they're trying too hard. My, you know? my problem with Human Centipede, when I sat down and watched it, I actually was lucky enough to get a screener copy of it. Uh, the way that I reviewed it was that I tweeted while watching the movie and called it Human Senate Tweet. And um, I, the problem with that movie, beyond a lot of the obvious things, like you said, they're trying so hard, is that the movie just never decided if it was trying to be a comedy or if it was legitimately trying to be scary. And uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, they literally turn into the Human Centipede within the first 15 minutes of the movie. And then it's just kind of boring. Like, you're like, okay, I've seen it. I've still got an hour and a half to go. <laughs> like, it, it's kind of, it, it would have been an interesting short film, maybe, for, for just, like, shock value. But as almost a two-hour-long movie, which I have to put quotes around, uh, no. <laughs> That's the kind of concept that could only be pulled off by the likes of Shinya Sukamoto or possibly Takashi Miike, you know, one of those crazy Japanese filmmakers that uh, has an extremely artistic bent if you can contain them yeah. long enough, you know. <laughs> yeah, there uh now did you think when you started this podcast that you'd be doing this for as many years as you have? It's been almost five at this point. Um, I don't really ever intend to stop as long as I can afford the bandwidth and the web space and everything like that. I like hearing myself talk, and it gives me an excuse to do what I want to do anyway, which is watch terrible movies. And it's opened up doors for me that I never would have anticipated. I've gotten feedback from fans all over the world, and people have even told me that listening to my podcast helps them get through their day at work. So in some small way, I'm making people's lives better and that's very fulfilling for me. Yeah. I would say even from a, from a fellow podcasting standpoint, um, people talk about a lot and, uh, obviously, you know, the world of podcasting is mostly dominated by people like Mark Marin or, or Chris Hardwick who have already established names, but, it's amazing how many doors, especially if you're a young writer or a wannabe comedian or any of those things, how many doors a podcast actually opens up for you opportunity-wise. I've got, I mean, through this show, and this is only episode eight, I've met so many people who I've loved and got to talk to for 10, 15 minutes that it's it's been worth it. Even if I don't do, maybe maybe I say do two or three more episodes, like... I can still look back fondly at this and said, I got to meet Mink Stoll because of this. <laughs> like, you know, I got to talk to George Hardy from Troll 2 for an hour. Like, there, it's, I, I recommend everybody out there who thinks that they can do a podcast to just do it. 
Like, just try it out. It's not as much work as you would imagine it would be, but it's also not as easy as it as you think it would be. But I mean, I don't know about you, but I, it takes me maybe two three hours worth of editing for for the podcast. But compared to what else I do with my free time, that's not really that bad. <laughs> like. Uh, the way I edit, it takes me about four times as much as the recording itself. So if I'm going to have a half hour of finished product, it takes me maybe two hours of straight editing in the chair to to get to that point. I edit pretty tightly, though, you know. And uh, uh, sometimes I like the way it sounds. Sometimes I'm a little little disappointed. But that's just the, you know the the neurotic perfectionist in me working at it. Um, it can be a lot of work, or you might be gifted and have a natural rapport with people and be able to just put it out there unedited. Some people can actually do that, you know, like like uh, the comedians, professional comedians like Paul Shear on how did this get made, for example. Yeah. I don't think puts a lot of editing <laughs> now, I know into, that, into his final product. I know. Or that, if you're rich like Kevin Smith, you can get someone else to edit it for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know Geekscape is all just one camera shot for an hour um, with no <laughs> editing whatsoever. Uh, except for, like, opening and closing credits. Um, now, the theme, you started doing a lot of themes, which I don't remember three years ago there being that many themes, but, you know, now there's been the year of Cage and the month of H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, has this just been something to for, for your own personal enjoyment, or have you always wanted to, like, was this a new idea, or did you always want to eventually start doing themed years and months? I don't know what it is exactly that um, put me onto the idea of theme blocks of programming. I think the first one that I did was The Most Dangerous Month, the uh, uh, Hunt You Like an Animal, where, you know, humans being hunted for sport and profit. Um, it just seems like a natural sort of progression to... Uh, I, I, I'm one of those people that I tend to, to categorize things you know, and, and organize things in, in my brain. Um, and uh, something about theme months, or in the case of uh, the Nicolas Cage theme year, just seems like a natural extension of that. Like, I know that there are certain properties that I want to talk about, but they only make sense in a grander context. You know, I, I don't think it would be appropriate to just talk about Reanimator or just talk about the Call of Cthulhu silent film without talking about Lovecraft, um, in general, and his adaptations into films in specific. Um, I'm actually working on additional theme months that are just in the planning stages at the moment because getting them together and recorded in a timely manner is a tremendous amount of work. But uh, it's something that I, I like to do, and it, it's, it's one of those things that makes sense to me. Uh, do you, can you reveal what some of these future themes may be for people who might want to start checking in well i put a poll up on the greatest movie podcast a while ago that suggest a potential theme months to be done in the future and all of those ideas are something i do intend to do at some point so yes there will be a shack attack <laughs> that it's is just a, a matter of when <laughs> and a matter of you know the uh strength to sit through all of those <laughs> <laughs> uh you uh, I've actually been trying to, uh, as you said, you talk about lists and, you know, being a young filmmaker, I tried to watch all of the I, uh, AFI's 100 Greatest Movies list, but 
But I've also tried to Why watch... Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> I've, I've also tried to watch all of IMDb's bottom 100, which is, A, impossible because that list changes literally every other hour. Um, but, B, I've had to suffer through so many Paris Hilton starring films from National Lampoon that it is <laughs> disgusting. Pledge This and The Hills are both pretty high-ranking on the worst experiences of my entire life. Uh, and I think it's through movies like that that I find an ability to appreciate movies that other people tend to hate. Because I can look at them and say, you haven't watched The Hills, spelled with a Z, that's played like a serious drama <laughs> about gang life and drugs, starring Paris Hilton. Um, well, thank you for coming by, Paul. Uh, where can people go and check out the podcast and you know eventually whenever my episode goes up where we reviewed freaked which i consider to be one of the greatest movies ever you can find the greatest movie ever podcast at www.fearthegooberzilla.com you can also find it at just simply gooberzilla.wordpress.com that's the blog where you can see our archives and post comments and stuff like that get the rss feed uh it's like i'm not a web designer it's just like you know whatever I slap together, and it's uh, I've been criticized by many people about the format of it. But uh, you know, if you want to do the page for me, <laughs> you got better suggestions and want to do it for free, uh, you're welcome to it. I also have another podcast. Um, it's a little more personal, called the Silicon Chickens Project, in which I uh, write, edit, and perform my own works of short fiction, both humorous and macabre. And that you can find at siliconchickens.wordpress.com. Nice. All right, well, thank you for coming by. We'll be back after this brief commercial break. This segment is where we go to fake commercials. These aren't real. That's the joke. So they say. Billy is just your everyday ordinary teenager, except his dad is the president of the United States. But when a gang of skateboarding ninjas start terrorizing the country, there's no other option but to outlaw skateboarding altogether. Billy's world gets turned upside down. I'm sorry, Youth of America, but my hands are tied on this one. If you're seen skateboarding, you'll be arrested and fined. No, you can't do this, Dad! But when the president is kidnapped, it's up to the president's rebellious son and a bunch of ragtag high school outcasts to save the president and help the Youth of America get their favorite pastime back. This isn't just about skateboarding. It's about the First Amendment of skateboarding in the Disney Channel exclusive Permission to Board, airing this Friday. Another incredible fake commercial break, specifically one that's already been used once before in episode two. Perhaps St. Mort has already run out of ideas. Okay, and we're back with Mitch Donnerberger of Four Color Rebellion, uh, formerly of Four Color Rebellion. About that. Uh, and what are you up to right now? I know you don't have any major projects, but what are you doing just as yourself? Fun employment. <laughs> the job market is tough, and uh, when you're when you're set with unemployment, you kind of have all this free time to either sit with your hand down your pants or or work until you know you're keep yourself busy. Or both. <laughs> Hopefully both. <laughs> I can't imagine anything else. Um, what I have been doing is uh, I've been trying to start up an, a couple of projects that unfortunately have have sort of fizzled out, um, but uh, some are getting momentum recently. Um, I, I worked with a, a buddy of mine, Steve Kubitz, who, uh, he and I are what we sort of refer to ourselves as Simpsons scholars. 
um, we spend a lot of our time considering uh, that the Simpsons and studying the Simpsons and the cultural references therein are sort of, I mean, that's our hobby. There's a scholarship to that. So we pour over old records. We pour over um, commercial, like, or episode reviews back from back in news groups, you know, all yeah. dot uh, discussion dot Simpsons, I think it was. Uh, and going over that and sort of doing data mining for sentiment. And uh, we recently prepared a panel for Teco Shokan, which is an anime convention in Pittsburgh, um, 2011, called What the Simpsons Can Teach Us About Japan. And uh, it actually went very well. We had um, we had a full house. We had people lining up outside, pretending like we were important people. That's awesome. And um, it was great. We had an hour and a half of material based on three episodes of The Simpsons. What, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what were the three episodes? There was 30, 30 minutes over Tokyo, which is um, the, the stereotypical Simpsons visit Tokyo. Like, you know, the Simpsons go to Africa. Simpsons go to um, uh, Norway or wherever the hell else they go. <laughs> Yeah, they went to Florida, I believe that was. Um, and uh, the second one was the Mr. S- Mr. Sparkle episode, which everybody knows. And uh, that that was, if anybody is curious, that's the episode where Marge becomes the listen lady for Dr. Lovejoy. Dr. Um, uh, Reverend Lovejoy. That's, the, that's probably in my top ten episodes. It's an incredible episode. And just a piece of trivia so you can impress your girlfriend, boyfriend, or significant dog or whomever. <laughs> Um, that's the first time they mentioned Reverend, Reverend Lovejoy's first name, which is Tim, huh. Tim Lovejoy. Um, and the, actually there were a number of other episodes, uh, but they were like little snippets. Yeah. Um, they covered, uh, when one fish red, one fish, two fish, like poison. It was yeah, the one the, where about three, the three eyeballed fish. No, it's it's the the fugu fish. Oh, the fugu fish, the fugu fish. Yeah, yeah where Homer thinks he's gonna die. Um, there, there's actually a lot of pretty interesting uh, um, commentary about Japanese culture in that episode. The, for like the first ten minutes of it, when they're going to the restaurant, um, and a couple of other ones, including uh, we did some some stuff. We covered the controversy with the Simpsons movie when that first came out. Um, they actually the Fox who published the DVD, what they did was they actually replaced all of the normal Japanese voice actors that they've had since the beginning. They dubbed the show in Japan. Um, They replaced them with popular Japanese actors and just completely just redid all of the characters. And Japanese fans of the show, I mean, there's not a whole lot of fans of The Simpsons in Japan, you know, seeing it's not that culturally relevant, but um, people were protesting. Like, they they boycotted the DVD and they pressured... Um, Fox to the point where they actually paid for the original actors to come in and redub the episodes as an optional audio track, and then they released the DVDs. Uh, you know, much to the chagrin of um, all the Japanese fans. So we covered all those things, and hopefully, if uh, anybody is attending Otakon, we're we're trying to pressure Otakon to let us do the same panel uh, there as well, considering its success. Now, are you um, specifically aiming to just do these at anime conventions, or? Anywhere that the Simpsons are relevant. I mean, what's great about the Simpsons is that they are sort of a cultural record of what it's like in America. And naturally, they have been on the air so long, their breadth of experience and and coverage is is gigantic. They cover absolutely anything you could think of. Comic book conventions, how we could even do uh, farm-to-table conventions if we truly wanted to. You could technically even... um... I think it'd be interesting for you to write to uh, 
something like Monster Mania and do one just about their Halloween specials. We certainly could. And, and um, it, we, we like to consider, I mean, there's other people out there that consider themselves Simpsons scholars too. It's something that has existed since uh, the Simpsons first were on the air. And it's, it's a subculture that's almost sort of persisted on in little nuggets of space on the internet and is now starting the sort of flower to the surface as people, you know, grow and age. And just... Now, have you read the book uh, Simps- uh, Planet Simpson? I have not. Uh, I actually just read that book. Okay. And what he does is uh, he writes 12 chapters. Each chapter focuses on a different character in the Simpsons universe and how it and compares its satire through various episodes with society in general right and the most interesting uh chapter in my opinion was about comic book guy yeah and also the the statements he tends to make about not just fandom but internet culture and one of the things that he covers uh you had mentioned how you went through episode reviews on the old news groups right he talks about the irony that uh one of his things he talks about is the episode with Poochie. Right. Poochie Scratchy Poochie Show. Sure. Which is the episode that has the famous worst episode ever line. Right. And he talks about how that episode was kind of like a fuck you to the news group fans yeah. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Because they, if you look in the histories of those shit on seasons three, four, and five as the yeah. worst episodes of Simpsons ever. Whereas now in retrospect, <laughs> those are like the holy grail of three seasons of, yeah. the, of the series. It's unbelievable. And um, they, comic book guy was actually, like you said, he was, he was created as a character that uh, sort of reinforced that they made fun of their fans. It was a channel for the writers to basically lampoon their own fans. And um, they make fun of this uh, very almost viscerally in the episode where they're making the McBain um, uh, uh, fallout. Yeah, the, uh, the Fallout Boy um, Radioactive Man episode. And, you know, they're um, Barton and uh, Milhouse, they go to the comic book shop and they ask him, like, do you know what, blah, blah, blah. And he, he waddles over his computer and, like, sets a taco down and starts typing. And he says, like, need to know date, uh, no, like, lead actor, RM pick. And they, he sends it out on a news group and immediately it, like, goes through different people. Like, one of them's Prince. who's like this, like, shriveled corpse typing on a keyboard. And uh, eventually it ends up with, like, a single guy who's sitting underneath the board table and, like, attaches a, um, like, listening device. Yeah, like a listening device to the... And and that was a stab at, like, um, the news groups had a particular habit of leaking information about uh, production schedules because this is at a time when the the most uh, rapid form of product, like uh, uh, communication that everybody knew of at that time, at least in, in Hollywood or in uh, the small screen areas like in California, um, the most rapid form of communication they knew of was television yeah. or newspapers or even zines to that effect. Well, as long as I've known, known you, which is, is quite a long time, I think you were in sixth grade when we first met. Yeah. Um, you have always been a very tech suave person, a very internet-based person. Sure. I you were always an internet entity. Um, and I, I was a little bit, I guess because I'm a few years older, I, I distinctly remember the years before the internet and before the internet was huge, whereas you were always kind of part of it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of nostalgia from me with stuff because of the internet, uh, specifically when I go to the movies. I went to the movies this morning, and saw Scream 4, sure. for instance, 
And I, I had already seen every trailer that played a thousand times before yeah. because of the internet. And I remember the days where you would go to the movie, you'd have no clue what trailers you were going to see. You didn't even know what movies were coming out that summer. Exactly. Until you saw the trailer. And now it's, you know, there's people who buy tickets to I Am Legends just to see the trailer for um, Dark Knight. I mean, yeah. because there was just already out there, okay, this is where you can see this trailer. Or Green Lantern was the trailer... His big trailer debut was before Harry Potter this summer. Yeah. I or this fall. Do you do you think this is a positive change or do you think that I mean I mean I guess it's hmm. progression, but it feels like for me as a horror fan, seeing Scream Four, sure. I had to actively decide that between mid like right at midnight on Thursday yeah. until I saw it today, that I had to avoid any type of like Twitter or Facebook, or anything that would tell me who the killer was in Scream 4 or ruin this movie for me, right. it's instantaneous. Um, gosh, I mean... You can't even check Wikipedia for a book that... Like, the day that Harry Potter 7 came out, yeah. you couldn't check that Wikipedia for any information if you hadn't finished the book yet, because it was already going to be spoiled almost instantly after yeah. the book came out. Because there were leaks even earlier, and I think I mean, it's even necessary to qualify... Um, or clarify what qualifies me to even answer a question like that. It's like when you're, I guess when you're involved in creating content online for long enough, you just sort of connect with the different people that are doing those things online already. Bloggers, um, podcasters, Twitterers, or, you know, people that live under rocks and, you know, bang rocks together for electricity. Um, I've met a number of people and I've sort of involved myself in a lot of those uh, uh, situations, especially when I worked in the video game industry for four years and you just sort of get connected to those people that are working all over the place. And it is unbelievable the amount of convergence that's happening in different, different areas. Like things are overlapping that you never thought ever would. Um, for instance, if anybody is familiar with video games, Tim Schafer, the president of Double Fine uh, Productions, he... He made um, very popular video games, uh, Psychonauts, um, Brutal Legend. He worked on uh, stacking, Costume Quests, a um, bunch of very incredible games. Um, he's actually being tasked with the new um, uh, Sesame Street video game. Mm -hmm. And he's known for being, he's very progressive. He's uh, almost very violent in a way. He He's an extremely, extremely good game producer. And... There's just sort of a lot of crossover from different things, and that's that's the trend with the internet at this point and how it crosses over with different industries. One of the things that really gets me is that people were being prosecuted for going to um, movie theaters, the crappy movies like uh, um, the Justin Bieber movie, yeah. um, uh, Never Die. Never Say Never or something like that. Yeah, who, who cares? Um, I, I <laughs> so people were going in with their cell phones and 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 were actually recording the trailers and recording like and uploading them from the theater to a YouTube account, which are then just taken up and eaten up by every major film blog, uh, um, like Film Drunk and uh, Naked Robot and and absolutely anything out there that's that at least has the morality enough to take a leaked trailer like that and yeah. it's isn't it amazing to think that there's such a thing as a leaked trailer that's true i mean I, I just feel like there's like the two sides of it where you know i would say like coming from i can see the frustration of coming from maybe the creative side of it right being like 
Not even just like because a lot of people, especially the more independent filmmakers, uh, I believe the people who did um, the Banksy documentary. Right. That movie, I believe, was available on on demand at the same time that it was in theaters. Yeah. And their whole thing was, look, the theatric run is just the trailer for the DVD release. Sure. But, I mean, as much as I hate the studio system, I can understand, like, look, we're investing a whole lot of money into making this movie. Yeah. Like, please don't spoil the end of the movie <laughs> online before anyone has a chance to see it. That's a, that's a, that's <laughs> like, a battle you'll never win. Like, going back to yeah. Comic Book Guy, that's been happening as long as you can as anyone can remember. Yeah. And you know what's interesting on that same point is, um, you know the movie Hobo with a Shotgun? Yes. Um, the director of that is a brand new director. Seriously, he's a real greenhorn. I've heard nothing about greenhorn. this movie, and then literally in the last five days, I've heard like seven different people mention this movie. <laughs> he He's a complete greenhorn. Um, the... One of the like one of the only major pictures that he ever made before that was the fake trailer for this movie in Grindhouse because um, both Machete and Hobo with a Shotgun were yeah. both you know fake trailers and then they became real movies. Um, he was doing an interview on Reddit.com, mm-hmm. who uh, in, in a very popular section called IMA, which yeah. is uh, the um, sort of like an interview section. It's, almost, it's like a Q and A yeah. section. I guess that's the best way. It's to almost like a it, panel, yeah. but. Um, he was he didn't he didn't interview there because he's a big redditor he's a big fan of it and a lot of people asked him um, you know I'm they said to him I'm sorry I pirated your movie uh, yeah. because it's it's not out in theaters it's not out in wide theaters it's hard yeah. to find and it's very easy to find online you can find it on the Pirate Bay stuff like that accessible yeah. and you wouldn't believe how cool this guy was with this. He says you know I'm he's like sorry couldn't pay to go see it but I'm glad you enjoyed it I mean it's it's propagation is more important these days i'd like to believe and i could be very wrong because you look at something like scott pilgrim but i'd like to believe that if the fans strongly believe in the product they'll they'll go and see it they'll spend the money but then again you look at something like scott pilgrim which should have been the number one movie of that of that particular release week Definitely a bad release week choice, putting it up against the Expendables and Eat, Pray, yeah. Love. But it shouldn't have been number six in the box office. Like, well, um, I mean, a lot of the problem was also I saw that movie for free three times before it even came out in theaters. Yeah, because they were constantly showing it at Comic Con. There was like three Philly screenings in advance. Like, yeah. I think they made a mistake of showing the movie for free to everybody who would have actually paid to see it when it came out. Well. The issue at hand is, and this is something that my colleagues at Four Color Rebellion uh, examined um, yeah. very thoroughly, actually. Um, everybody at that site, um, we're all like, one thing is, Four Color Rebellion is 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 um, sort of very uh, fundamentally a Nintendo website, but yeah. it's called Four Color Rebellion because it started as a comic books um, blog, yeah. you know, Four Color, CYMK, etc. And the guy that started it, Nick Luckett, he's um, he's an incredibly influential guy now. He actually works at uh, one of the top advertising agencies in the world. And I guarantee if you watch the Super Bowl, you've seen his ad. Right. Um, and he he's a huge fan of Scott Pilgrim. And he did um, he did like a um, an illustration called Scott Pilgrim versus the Box Office. Yeah. And it was just an image of Scott Pilgrim being crushed by a giant marquee. And it illustrated so aptly, and, and, and his caption was, this is why we, nerds can't have nice things. True. And <laughs> um, the problem is, is that nerds are outcasts by nature, and when you cash in on things that nerds find important, 
it tends to be that you go against one of the toughest crowds to please in media. I mean, you're, you're going against people who know the source material extremely well. They are extremely exacting in what they want to see. I mean, look at it. Talk to any nerd that's a Lord of the Rings fan and ask him his opinion on the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, and you're also finding people who have very little um, motivation to either leave the house by themselves or without being in a large social situation. So you're sort of like it it's almost goes hand in hand with what's happening to the industry at this point with how it's converging with the internet is that there's this entirely new audience that's being targeted that never was before. Like previously, what's the biggest nerd movie you can think of? Tron, perhaps? Yeah, Tron Legacy probably would be one of the first ones I'd think of, yeah. And I mean, it, there's, there's it's definitely difficult. more, I think there's definitely more nerd-centric movies, but they haven't had the box. Like, Paul is nothing but a love letter to nerds, but yeah. no one went and saw it, <laughs> I, which is a shame because the movie's great. Yeah, and and that's Your Highness is the same thing. Your Highness, I think, is as much as it is a bit of a stoner comedy. It's a movie for people who love D and D as a kid. Yeah, and there's incredible movies that will never make it to wide appeal, like The Gamers, for instance, yeah. which is if anyone's ever seen, it's by um, was it the Drunken Dead, Dead gen- Gentleman? Dead Gentleman. Dead Gentleman. I didn't like the full end version of it though. The the, the Dorkness Rising. The sequel. The sequel. Yeah, the sequel wasn't great, but the original short. It's is brilliant. If you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons, it's worth your money. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, but the problem is, is that nerds are nerds because they have very particular interests that aren't general interests. Yeah. And a lot of the things that are coming to the big screen, like all right, so you've covered your mainstream superheroes. You know, now you've even got covered with uh, Thor. Um, you got the Hulk, you got literally yeah, everybody we're going, covered. We're going through the B list and making our way straight to the C list eventually. Yeah. And when you get to when you get to someone like Scott Pilgrim, sure, it's very popular, but it's a nerd thing at heart it's and it's never going to be such popular. a niche group though. Exactly. Like cuz that's that's a comic that not even a lot of comic book fans really know. It was right. it was a comic that that you had someone else had to tell you about it for you to find it. It's not like Spider-Man that's where an you internet can walk comic. in. Yeah. And um, uh, one thing I am also is I'm a, I guess you would call me an amateur cartoonist. I, was, I wanted to, I know we're running a little low on time. I wanted to get sure. towards some of your animation. Uh, I used to love, you had done a project. There's two things I want to talk about real quick with your animation. The first one is obviously um, your Valentine's Day card and the scandal oh, that went wow. with that. <laughs> and the other thing was a project that you had done a while ago, which was a comic a day. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think you do it as much. No, I've. But that for a while, that was one of the most incredible. Was it a comic? I'm not even thinking about a comic. Was a comic a day also the thing where you were literally working out a relationship situation? Yes, that 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 was titled "Left and Leaving." You can actually still find that if you left and leaving was amazing. Oh, I I read that constantly, and I think anybody who's ever been in a relationship that ended before you were ready for it to end, yeah, should read it because it's very relatable and. You know, you run the risk of sometimes there are issues where uh, I'm trying. I'm reading the Sarah Silverman uh, book, sure. The Bedwetter. Right. It's her memoirs. And I just actually read a chapter that she wrote about diaries. Right. She goes, the thing is with diaries is that there's no point for them because yeah. no one should ever read a diary because when you look back at that diary, you're just nothing but embarrassed at how whiny yeah. you are. And 
there, you run a risk of that in certain parts of that comic, but in the long run, it's a very artistically interesting scope of a relationship. Yeah. But I'm sure even for you, looking back at it, you're like, man, I maybe shouldn't have put a <laughs> few of these in here. Cause well, uh, like... the story, I guess the story behind that, I mean, you can still find it. It didn't... Um... I've, I've had a lot of people that have sort of looked at it and I, it still has a pretty decent readership in retrospect. When I was running it, it had probably 500 visitors a day, nice. um, which is, which is an all right. I mean, that's, that's about what you would get with a small press um, comic book in any of those cir- circumstances. But the story behind it was uh, the, the title comes from a, the weaker than song um, which centers around a breakup. And I know how cliche it sounds to be, but it was, it was my first relationship and it ended in a very sort of uh, very violent um, sort of wrenching apart. And I had nothing to do with myself. And um, I mean, I'm an amateur cartoonist. I've been drawing since I was in high school. And I thought, why not draw four comics every single day? Yeah. So I would draw them whenever something monumental in my day happened, um, three panels, and that's it. And then at the end of the day, I would scan it and upload it, and um, et cetera, and so on. I think I carried it out for about 100 days, and you're exactly right. It, it, as, as far as diaries go, um, one of the things that I, I, I went out of my way to sort of do, and it was my philosophy for even doing it in the first place, is that there's, like, nobody, none of, none of the feelings anybody have, like, has is, are unique. Yeah. There's billions of people that have existed in our in, in the human history and they've all felt the same things that you have at some point but there are still tons of people on this planet that maybe in your lifetime will never feel what you feel so it's worth it to put your feelings and your experience out there in such a way that it can be a story that somebody can relate to it and I had people come up to me saying like thank you for doing this because it helped me through whatever time and I'm, I'm sitting to myself I'm eating in my underwear thinking like what <laughs> me <laughs> and uh and it was it was great I mean uh but there are certainly embarrassing times I mean I I was super pissed off at my girlfriend so <laughs> there were times when and I know she was reading at the time and I was like stabbing at her with a philosophical like linoleum knife just just like I, one time I even drew something so stupid I'm just like I hate you I hate you and it's just it was sort of a raw expression and um I got the idea from something that uh, uh, was done by, I can't remember his name, but he does a comics, Pictures for Sad Children. I don't know, I don't know that one. That's a webcomic, if you ever want to read it, will ruin your day <laughs> consistently <laughs> because it's extremely depressing, very sparse, very minimalistic, but it's always genius. And he did something where for the entire day, he just like drew little comics um, about what he was doing. So I kind of took it one step further. And um, if you want to read that comic, um, it's about 100 comics long. You can read it in about an hour. Uh, it's called Left and Leaving. Just search for it on Google. Right. Um, but you have to type comic because, like I said, it's the title of a Weaker Than song if you don't want to get a page full of um, lyrics. lyrics and so <laughs> forth. Uh, now, what about the uh, – and I guess we'll have to make it quick because we are running all the time. Right. Can you tell me a little bit about the Valentine's Day card? Oh, card boy. Massacre. So that's another thing that kind of comes back to a failed relationship is that, you know, I, I, uh, I had the desire to do something romantic, but uh, nobody to focus it towards. So I made video game related comic or uh, Valentine's Day cards that uh, were nerdy and et cetera. And we, and we threw this up on Four Color Rebellion. I did a couple more this year as well. One about Minecraft, if anybody loves <laughs> Minecraft as much as I do. And um, 
one of which, the very first one we did was uh, sort of like a Tetris heart. It was uh, the, like a, um, a heart made out of all the Tetris. Right, pieces. Tetris block. And and looking back, I actually really hate that piece because uh, I did it all wrong. Yeah. Like certain things are twisted in the way they're not supposed to be. And um, you know, it passed one year. It was very popular, but it passed one year without really thinking about it. The p- next year, when I produced um, a set of uh, Valentine's Day cards for that, it appeared to be the top link on Dig when Dig was still popular at, yeah. at the time. And I was looking through the comments, and this one guy's like, you know, I've seen this shirt before. And I'm like, and I was like, what? So it turns out that um, a retailer, All Saints, who are sort of like the J. Crew of, um, of, of uh, uh, London, okay. a very, very sort of expensive, high-fashion retailer, they had basically lifted the heart design and printed it on a T-shirt with that, like, fake weather... Uh, <laughs> tea they make it look like it's vintage and we're selling it for around 200 300 dollars so there was this long process of where i was like threatening them and they were threatening me and the entire time i'm thinking like jesus christ it's like this is my design and why you like why is this happening to me who is i'm like i was a I was a sophomore in college yeah, at say, the time. You were still in college. I remember this whole thing just as I I think it was just when I was getting ready to graduate college. I was like, what the hell? It's unbelievable. <laughs> and you wouldn't believe the heights that that reached. Um, uh, I, I rallied all of my friends in the media to help me fight this battle. It was, um, I talked to all my friends on Kotaku. Um, uh, I, forget, I think Luke Plunkett, who's the associate editor now, he was uh, very sympathetic to that cause. If anyone reads Go Nintendo, Kevin Cassidy. Um, raw meat cowboy. He's he was extremely friendly, and it got posted on Gawker. Um, uh, Joystick, I believe, picked it up as well. Every major blog, and and so you thought we wouldn't notice, which is a great blog, by the way, about counterfeiting. They picked that story up as well. All right. So, sum up the story. Was justice eventually served in this case? It was, but I pissed off a lot of British people. That's okay. <laughs> Listen. They're still pissed off about the whole America situation, so yeah. I think you're okay. That would explain a lot. Uh, the website is mitchpalooza.com. Mitchapalooza.org. Mitchapalooza.org. Um, just like uh, old school, Mitchapalooza <laughs> so, the party. Uh, go ahead and check that out. You can, you've can. you got web comics up there. It's kind of almost like an online resume last time I checked. I'm not sure yeah. if you it, it up. It, uh, a new site will be launched probably in the, by the time this maybe hits. About two weeks from now? Yeah, right. about that, um, and I hope you go and enjoy it. Um, there's a couple other comic projects that I have listed up there, including, uh, it's mostly nerd stuff, Mother Two or Mother 3 fan translation project I was involved in, and um, a couple other things relating to the nerd scene. So, I mean, if you, I'm a bit of everywhere, if you manage to see me. Uh, follow me on Twitter, I draw a lot. And what's the uh, Twitter handle? That's M Sprout. It's linked on my site, uh, again, mitchapalooza.org. All right. Thanks for stopping by, Mitch. It's been good to see you. It's raining really hard, and you're making me go out there. Uh, We'll be back after this commercial break. Oh, boy. More of those fake commercials. Hey, guys. It's St. Moore. I'm just letting all you know in the Philadelphia area that on May 27th at the Media Coffee Club, We'll be doing our first ever St. Mort Live featuring past guests Chris and Matt, uh, my brother Brian from the What's Brian Doing Today segment, Jeff Shropshire from the Jeff's Movies on Tape segment from episode one, uh, Ryan Beatty, and musical guests There Are Monsters from episode two will be performing. So please come on out. It's going to be five bucks. It'll be a three hour long event. 
uh, and I'll be giving away some prizes and all types of different stuff. So hopefully I see all of you guys there May 27th, 7 p.m. at the Media Coffee Club. Thanks. If you're wondering why you didn't laugh at the last fake commercial, it's because it just wasn't funny. He promised last week to not do any more of these, but this shows the loyalty that Sade Mort has to his fan base. All right, we're back. Uh, normally, this would be the point where a musical guest would come out and perform a song. But in honor of next week being Mother's Day, I thought it'd be really cool if I sat down for just a couple minutes with my mother. So in the studio right now, uh, Donna Kelly. Hello, all. How are you? Uh, now, people who listen to the show frequently might know you as my mother from episode six. Uh, a lot of people have asked if that was really you. Yes. That yes, that was me. Um, <laughs> uh, embarrassingly enough, yes, that was me. Um, so, Mom, tell me a little bit about me. I am your, your first son. Uh, I'm moving away soon. I know you're not too thrilled, but uh, I mean, what better way for my listeners to know me than to hear about me from my own mother? Okay, a little bit about Matt. Let's see. From the time Matt was about, I would say, three years old, he just loved movies. He loved everything about movies wanted to be in the movies. He would do his stories when he got into kindergarten and he'd write books. He would, um, his stories were always about something in the movies, whether it was Star Wars or Beetlejuice or, oh, I don't know, any, any type of movie that he could think of. Goonies was one of his favorite movies. Um, when he was about, I would say about five years old and he had seen Beetlejuice about 30,000 times, and I am a good mother, but he saw Beetlejuice about 30,000 times, and he was out back, and Beetlejuice had some great scenes throughout the whole movie, and he was at his little swing set, very innocently pushing, pushing his sister in the swing, and he said, hey, Mom, look, I'm Beetlejuice, look, and he went, he banged on the tree, and what did he do? He grabbed his little pee-pee, and he went, Nice effing model. But he said the word straight out. Out of all the <laughs> scenes, that was the one he picked. The only curse in the entire, entire movie. movie. That's <laughs> exactly right. The only curse word that made it PG-13. <laughs> and that's how the long line of explicit podcasts yes. began. <laughs> it started with that one little innocent little scene. I actually have a different by. memory, too. And I remember... When I first got into Spaceballs, uh, and I was maybe eight at the time, oh, yeah. I came into the kitchen and I said, fuck, even in space nothing works. And you literally slapped me across <laughs> the face yes. immediately. <laughs> Quick reaction, sorry. <laughs> and said, never say that word again. And I just said it now, so I guess I'm yes. in trouble. The poor boy was the only child that actually had mouth uh, soap in his mouth for saying, I hate you. <laughs> Out of the four. I'm Which, so to be honest, to be, let's be fair. The other three have said much more heinous <laughs> things to each well, other than that. Your sister said, I hate you, and I put her out front with her luggage. So <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. So and Brian packed a suitcase to yes. leave one time full of stuffed animals. Yeah, stuffed animals and his change bucket. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of like in the jerk. <laughs> Taking my bears and my money, and, and, I'm, and that's all I need. And he was kind of a jerk. Yeah, <laughs> <He's> <laughs> 
That um, day, yes. <laughs> Not always. Uh, now, how did you and my dad meet? Well, I actually was dating someone else by the name of Jim. <gasps> you and whore. I was. <laughs> he wasn't as fun as this Jim. God rest his soul. And um, he had a house. The other Jim had a house down the shore with the current Jim. And um, we got to be friends through the summer, and the previous Jim would leave me all the time, and I just ended up falling for your father. I never knew that. I never yes, knew the story behind that. That would be it. And, and Father's, Day I'll Father's Day, I'll interview Dad and see yeah, if he tells the same story. Yeah, see if he gives you the story. same story. <laughs> We're on the dating game. We might. We would probably be the biggest losers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you had me. <laughs> and then you, and then I had Matt. And your life uh, was ruined. It was a from little d no, <laughs> I would not say it was different. We did things a little backwards. It was we met, we had a baby, <laughs> we bought a house, and then we got married. It's all and right. And then we had three others. No, Matt was always, always a really good, good boy, always loving, would always say he loved you, gave you hugs and kisses all the time. One of his, uh, one of my big memories is our first house. And his dad worked second shift, and we would have actually, again, I really was a good mother, but we would have Captain Crunch cereal for dinner because <laughs> we didn't really have a lot. And we would sit together and watch Fraggle Rock every night. And Matt loved Fraggle Rock, and he would sing all the words to it. <laughs> and then also we had a uh, VHS, so I'm going back, of – all these different, um, all these different songs that were redone by cartoon characters, and there was also one by Sesame Street, and they would redo. redo and Matt's favorite was "Letter B" <laughs> to the tune of "Let It Be." So he was always, always involved in music. He always liked music. Played the sax when he was in um, Pennell Elementary, and. Um, Used to walk around his underwear in the house playing the sax, I believe. <laughs> One of the most beautiful pictures we have. I was a, I was, I was of a him. young Tom Cruise. Yes, you were. <laughs> One of the very nice pictures we have of him that I have threatened him with several times is stark naked in a pair of cowboy boots. <laughs> and that was just like a year ago or so. Yes, yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> uh, put a towel on. <laughs> um and then, you know, you had Jamie and Brian and, and Joy, and we and moved in this house where we, where you've lived and I've lived most of my life. Yes. Um, 20, no, 20, 23 years we'll be here. 24 years we'll be here. And uh, now I'm getting ready to to move to California. Move th th uh, about yes. 3,000 miles away, roughly. Bittersweet. Happy t to see you live your dream, and most people don't get to do that. But sad that I'm not going to be able to see you at any given moment or be able to um, call you up at any time. Because I know when you went to Comic-Con, I called you at all hours of the day, not realizing <laughs> the time difference. <laughs> and probably calling you more than um, a mother of a 25-year-old <laughs> boy <laughs> should call. But that's a mother's job to call, call, call. But that's because I love you. All right. Well, thank you, Mom, and happy Mother's Day. Thank you, son. All right. Now your brother's band, Chico's Vibe, uh, will play us out. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Woo-hoo, Chico's Vibe.
pitiful show. The only thing I liked was the band Chico's Vibe, who you can find at chicosvibe.com and the host, geekscape.net.